Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And we have a great episode for you today. We're going to be talking about a role, a church role, that is as ubiquitous as it is ambiguous, deacons. Deacons are essential to a church's health, yet confusion abounds regarding their biblical job description. What's their God-given role in a local congregation, and how do they relate to the church's overall mission? In his new book, Matt Smethurst makes the case that deacons are model servants called to meet tangible needs, organize and mobilize acts of service, preserve the unity of the flock, and support the ministry of the elders. Clearing away common misconceptions, Smethurst offers practical guidance for deploying deacons and helping churches to flourish. Matt Smethurst is, is the managing editor of the Gospel Coalition. He's the author of Before You Open Your Bible, and now Deacons, How They Serve and Strengthen the Church, which is the latest entry in the Crossway slash Nine Marks Building Healthy Churches series of books. Matt, welcome to the podcast, brother. Good to be here, Jared. Uh, so my first question is, am I pronouncing your last name correctly? <laughs> yes, okay. Smethurst. I, th- I think I, you've got it. Yeah, I was pretty positive with Smethurst, but I, I didn't want to have you in your you know in your mind uh, be thinking, oh my word, I'm on this thing and already it's uh, he, he doesn't even know my name. So that's good. All right, so we're we're one for one there. <laughs> How are things in your world, brother? Things are going well. Uh, I'm actually uh, in the process of of planning to uh, plant a church in Richmond, Virginia, River City Baptist Church. So we've been in Louisville for the last almost 12 years and are, uh, yeah, getting ready to move and land in Richmond, hopefully this summer. So that's taken up a lot of my headspace right now and uh, really excited about it. Well, you picked a great time right during a pandemic to plant a church. That's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, well, I'm hoping that it'll be just in the rearview mirror when we get going. Um, That's right. And I'm, I'm often grateful I didn't try to do this a year ago. Yeah, my my brother uh, uh, planted a church uh, a year ago. Right, <laughs> <So> right <laughs> when things were right when things were shutting down is when he God got going. So uh, the Lord's providence is perfect. We'll have to keep that in mind. Uh, all right, so let's talk about deacons and let's talk about your new book on on deacons and. Really, I want to ask about those misconceptions. The, the promise of the book is that it clears away misconceptions about, about what uh, the role of the deacon is or about how the deacons serve, that sort of thing. What are some of the common misconceptions that your, your book is addressing? I'll give them to you with some uh, cheesy fictional names, but okay, I think this kind, right. of, th- th- this kind of captures, I think, a lot of the most popular misconceptions. Um, so I, I chart these out early on in the book. And, and let me preface it, though, Jared, by saying that uh, the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about deacons. There, there are very few texts. Um, I would say there's, there's one implicit, two explicit, and one debatable hmm. text. And, and therefore, I think we should approach this conversation with a, an extra dose of humility and generosity toward those who might do deacons a little differently than we uh, because there just isn't a lot to draw from. Having said that, I, I do think there are some popular ways that churches get deacons wrong and fall short of the Bible's vision. First one, we can call him pastor in training Peter. This is when the diaconate becomes merely training wheels for eldering. Okay. Um, 
Number two, I'll, I'll go quickly through these, Jared, and you can uh, follow up if, if you want me to say any more. Um, number two is uh, Toolbox Terrence. He's a really successful general contractor. He um, owns more tools than everyone in the church combined, and it's really useful to have in the church, but that alone, being a handyman alone, doesn't necessarily qualify one to be a deacon. Uh, Spreadsheet Sam, you know, he's a he's a <laughs> right. uh, financial wizard. That's a good asset, but that that does not necessarily mean he's qualified biblically to be a deacon. Same with Corporate Cliff, you know, he's got business savvy and executive experience, but again, that's not um, that, what Paul is talking about in in First Timothy three with the qualifications. Vito Vinny uh, is the worst of the lot. He thinks it's his job to keep the pastor humble and to kind of check the pastor's every decision. Uh, <laughs> that falls far short of. of I think I know that guy. Five suspicion. <laughs> 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 uh, and then, lastly, and this this is the most popular uh, way that churches, particularly within my own denomination, the SBC tend to get deacons wrong. And that is what we will call pseudo elder Steve, uh, where deacons are functioning as de facto elders. And the last thing I'll say on this, Jared, is, is that I think all of these can be almost categorized into two groups, churches that either wrongly elevate deacons to functional elders or churches that wrongly demote or, or reduce deacons to just glorify janitors. But I think the, that the Bible's vision is, is far um, more lofty and glorious than either of those errors captures. Yeah, you know, so what's interesting about th- sort of those middle, um, you know, characters, the toolbox, spreadsheet, mm-hmm. corporate, veto, um, there's sort of a corollary for uh, the um, office of elder too, isn't there, where we would select men who have influence or maybe some sort of dynamic leadership gifts and things like that. Um, and so we select them purely on that, right? So what's the major uh, dysfunction there? Because, I mean, I can think of a number of, you know, Toolbox Terrence guys who, mm-hmm. um, you know, have served as, as deacons in churches that I've been a part of. And, um, and the primary thinking is, well, you know, because the diaconate is so practical and, um, you know, sort of the ministry of helps, uh, it makes mm-hmm. total sense that you have people who have know-how in that in that regard, and so on and so forth in terms of you know um, analytics and you know budgets mm-hmm. and all those sorts of things. So, what's the major problem with with that approach? With the exception of that jerk Vito Vinny, uh, <laughs> okay. all the uh, all the others have really useful gifts that that may really come in handy when it comes to diaconal work. I'm simply making the point that a deacon is more than just the ability to know your way around Home Depot or an Excel (laughs) spreadsheet. Uh, Deacons, according to Scripture, first and foremost, must be men of character. And we don't first see that in 1 Timothy 3, where Paul charts out the qualifications, which are emphatically focused not on competence, but on character. But I think what he's doing there in 1 Timothy 3 is he's kind of double-clicking on this idea we see in Acts chapter 6, where the apostles tell the congregation to choose from among yourselves seven men who are full of wisdom and of the Holy Spirit and are men of good repute. So uh, 
there is more to being a deacon than, than being a man of character, but it is certainly not less. In fact, I would go so far as to say that if you have a guy who, or, uh, who's, who's godly, but is not, doesn't, you know, regularly flakes out on things, doesn't return emails, just isn't really a safe pair of hands, then that person's probably not yet ready to serve as a deacon. You, you want someone who's not, you also don't just want to look for kind of the most servant hearted workhorse in the church who's going to hoard everything and do it all, you know, themselves. You want someone who is going to organize practical service and mobilize others as well. That's great. You, you, you mentioned deacons serving as de facto elders, which is um, awesome because my, my very next question actually has the phrase de facto elder in it. How, how did the, you know, if you have insight on this, how did deacons become the de facto elders of a lot of Baptist churches in particular? I, I grew up in churches that might have had a pastor or, you know, um, maybe multiple pastors, but in terms of sort of the oversight of the church or, or you know, those who served essentially, you know, in what would biblically be the role of eldership was the board of deacons. So how did historically, uh, traditionally, how did um, you know the board of deacons become the de facto board of elders in in Baptist churches? Yeah, there, there's not consensus on how it all came about, but I think there are a few things that are pretty evident. Number one, Baptist churches in the last hundred to 150 years have not very well understood the office of elder. I think many Baptists have have assumed that elders are a Presbyterian thing rather than a biblical thing. And therefore, when you misunderstand the office of elder, you're naturally inevitably going to have others function in that capacity. The church has to be led by someone or some group, group, and that has often become deacons. Another note I want to sound, though, is that I don't think it's always when you have churches with these pseudo elders, deacons functioning as pseudo elders, I don't think it's always because it 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 was a power grab. Now that is the case in, in some churches, but I think often what you have is the result of uh, unstable leadership situations where a pastor has showed up with fresh vision and fresh energy and fresh initiatives, and yet what happens two, three years in? They move on for greener pastures. Who's left? Who is always left to pick up the pieces? It's the deacons. <laughs> they are kind of the furniture of the church. So if there's a deacon listening to this and you're serving in a church where maybe you have so more leadership authority than I think the, that the Bible would give to the office of deacon, but if that's because you have stepped up and stepped into a leadership vacuum— left in the wake of yet another departed pastor, then I just want to say, uh, God bless you. You know, I hope you'll, you'll revisit what scripture does say about the office of elder and deacon, but I don't think it's always downstream from a power grab. Yeah. You know, at, at my last church, um, what I inherited was, uh, a solo pastor model with mm-hmm. a board of deacons who did a lot of deacony things and yet also uh, did some eldery things as well. And so for three years, I sort of walked them through the process of establishing plurality of, of eldership. And that process went actually pretty smoothly. Um, it was after the elders were actually established that now in practice, some sort of stressors, some tensions began to kind of um, come about. And I remember actually talking to, um, uh, to our mutual friend, Jonathan Lehman, back then and, 
and just you know um, asking for some you know counsel on what to look for, what should I expect? And one thing he described was, um, you know, you have a deacon board that has you know been in place for a long time. Now you have this uh, you know board of elders. Uh, you need to be careful that you don't end up with a kind of bicameral legislature. <laughs> and this is where that you know the veto vinnies kind of kick in, uh, because what happened was the you know everyone was on um, you know in favor of uh, you know plurality of eldership in theory. But then in practice, some of the deacons began to lose certain powers that they had had or certain authorities that they had had for a while that, you know, moved over to the elders. And so we had um, folks who, who, who wanted to kind of serve as a veto committee on, on what the elders were um, producing. What's the, the proper relationship between elders and deacons? How, you know, how should we, you know, uh, perceive these two, if you want to call them boards, I, I have a question related to that in a moment, but um, you know, these two teams, these two set of offices, what's the relationship between elders and deacons? Biblically, what should it look like? Yeah, first of all, I think you put your finger on exactly the way this goes awry in many churches. I have a, a dear pa- a friend who's a senior pastor in a church, and he inherited a very similar model. And the way he described it to me was uh, basically deacons and elders have separate but equal spheres of authority in his church. You know, elders govern everything that's spiritual deacons govern everything that's quote-unquote physical. And practically, this means deacons can't dictate what elders do with spiritual matters, and elders can't dictate what deacons do with practical matters, because it's kind of like, you know, stay in your lane. Hmm. And that idea that deacons are this counterweight to elders that need to check and their every decision, I think is is deeply problematic because when you have deacons functioning like elders, not only don't you have biblical elders, you also don't have biblical deacons. You lose <laughs> right. out on both offices. So to answer your question, uh, the way they're meant to function together, I think, is is that deacons are de- the office of deacon reports to the office of elder. They are a it's a subordinate office that that in a sense serves at the pleasure of the elders as the elders serve at the pleasure of King Jesus, and that deacons are discharged to carry out any kind of practical task that is going to, and in the book, I kind of put it under three broad umbrellas. So so deacons are assistants to the elders who spot and meet tangible needs, protect and promote church unity, and serve and support the ministry of the word. Now, underneath those, there's a lot of flexibility for application. And again, different churches might do it a little bit differently, but I think properly understood, uh, deacons are like the offensive lineman in a church whose job it is to protect the quarterback, lest he be an onrush of practical demands. Gotcha. Is is there a biblical way? Is there one biblical way? I guess I should say to maintain that um, you know local diaconate. Does it um, you know at, at at my church, for instance, there is no or the, you know there was at one time. But there is no deacon board, so to speak. Uh, they might meet in a, you know, irregular, you know, basis to kind of go over, you know, ministry, um, you know, uh, kind of ministry review and that sort of thing. Uh, but they're not making decisions as a board. There's essentially the deacon of the, you know, hospitality and the deacon of the this and the deacon of the that. But in a lot of churches, there's a board that meets, makes decisions. Is is there mm-hmm. one way to do it? Do you think that there's, you know, a, you know, a biblical prescription? related to how it's formed or maintained? 
no, I don't think there's only one way that goes back to what I was saying earlier that, that because scripture doesn't say a ton about how this gets practically carried out, then we, we need to be flexible. Having said that, I, I think that there are three models that are, I'm not saying there are only three, but, but in the book, I kind of list out three broad models that I think are biblically valid. So the one is the classic one in the Presbyterian and Reformed tradition of deacons as mercy ministers. I want to say there that, that uh, there, there is biblical precedent for that, but the, deacon, the diaconate should not be limited to mercy ministry, um, though it's not less than that. Another one, I think, is what you're describing, a kind of a team of leading servants. This is where deacons do meet together as a deliberative body. And I think that's fine so long as they understand that, that they are executing the vision of the elders and not the other way around. Um, and this, this doesn't mean they have to be mere, mere yes men, but it, but it just, it just, it's the understanding that, um, to, to borrow an analogy from, from someone else, if, if the elders say, Hey, we're going to Pittsburgh, it's not the deacon's job to come back and say, nah, let's go to Philadelphia instead. instead. <laughs> right. Now the deacon, the deacons can say, we don't think our engine will get us to Pittsburgh. And we'd encourage you to rethink that. But ultimately it's, it, it's the elders call. Then the last kind of model, which is the one I commend because it's the one I've experienced and seen the fruit of, is where deacons do not meet together as a deliberative body, but that you have role-specific individual diaconates. And each of those kind of reports directly to the elders. And those can be uh, created and dissolved at will based on the needs of the congregation at a time. Um, so that... That I, I think there can be wisdom in all of those approaches, but I think um, uh, more churches that have deacon boards should consider deploying individual um, folks into diaconates that are essentially, uh, and they essentially become lead volunteers to mobilize service in one area of the life of the church. Okay, that's good. Um, any thoughts? This may seem like it comes out of left field. Um, I, I don't know if you talk about it in the book or not, but. Any thoughts on female deacons or deaconesses? Uh, do you have any uh, perspective on that? Yay, nay? I don't I've know. I've certainly heard of them. <laughs> okay, uh, you've heard you've heard of them. I've heard tales of such things. <laughs> so I uh, I discussed this in an appendix, a, a lengthy appendix. Uh, the first sentence of of which is: If you flipped here before reading the rest of the book, shame on you. Okay. Return to the ta- return to the table of contents and try again. Okay. In all in all seriousness, no. Though it is a question every church needs to ask, it's it's unavoidable. The way I handle it in the, in the appendix, and and one of the reasons I have it there is because this is emphatically not a book about women deacons. But I basically marshal the best case I can against women deacons, and then the best case I can, I make the best case I can for women deacons, and then I tip my hand, which is that yes, I do think the office is open to qualified women. Uh, I, I think there's definitely room for both conclusions within the kingdom of God, but I have seen, well, let me say this, Jared, if deacons are functioning like elders in your church, yes, this, right. you should, you should wait, uh, and first understand what eldership is and what deaconing is before you, uh, install women deacons. Having said that, I do think a church impoverishes itself if they're not opening an office, um, that Christ has designed to be for both men and women. Gotcha. All right. That's a good word. A good, succinct, 
and helpful word. Um, let me ask you this. D- did you learn anything in, in studying or preparing to write the book? Was there something that you came across either historically or maybe theologically, but something you came across and thought, wow, you know, I had never considered that or I hadn't, I hadn't known about that? What's something that you might have learned um, in, in writing the book? Honestly, Jared, this is the book I was born to write. All right. I've, okay. been, I've been thinking of deacons since I was a young lad. So, no, okay. I didn't really learn any. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jared, this was a book I was assigned to write. Okay. Right. Um, and I, I, I did the deep dive into the subject, but uh, I very much was, you know, I had served in two diaconal roles, but I had never uh, studied the topic in an in depth manner. Um, and so, yes, I, I learned a ton. Um, I, (laughs) I, I think that most helpfully I, I learned, um, a bit about what you could say would even be a kind of a biblical theology of deacons. Now, of course, deacons don't show up in the old Testament, but I, I was really, um, edified to meditate on themes of, uh, Christ as the suffering servant in the in in Isaiah in particular, and how all of that kind of culminates in the ministry of Jesus, which of course um, Luke says that he was mighty, mighty in both word and deed. And then when you see Luke and Acts six pick up, I think that that same kind of theme, where in order to give themselves to the ministry of the word, the seven, which I think are forerunners to deacons, are raised up to give. Uh, priority to kind of deed ministry in the church. Um, and that's not to say that diaconal ministry is not, you know, sometimes when people say, well, elders do spiritual ministries, do uh, physical ministry. Well, no, deacons have a spiritual ministry that right. is focused on tangible matters. Um, so I would say, yeah, just just thinking through um, kind of some of these these canonical themes that that kind of culminate in in the offices of elder and deacon, um, and the work of Alexander Strauch. He's most known for uh, what he's written on biblical eldership, but he also has a good book called Paul's Vision for the Deacons. Interestingly, he wrote a book on deacons fifteen or twenty years ago called Ministers of Mercy. Okay, but he's overturned his thesis in recent years with this latest book where he's arguing, like I said earlier, that deacons aren't less than ministers of mercy, but they're better understood as formal assistants to the elders who are deputized to carry out that vision. They're kind of like the way I described it at one point. They're kind of like the congregation's special ops force who, <laughs> whose right. job is to carry out unseen tasks with, with fortitude and joy. Awesome. Brother, what are your hopes for the book? How do you hope that uh, churches will will use the book? Uh, I'd love to get on a podcast and talk about. No, uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm really I'm really grateful that um, I had the opportunity to write it um, because it it turned out. You know, I have a dear friend who's much smarter than me, and it was a little intimidating when he said to me uh, early on, "How in the world are you going to come up with you know thirty five thousand words on deacons?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. But it turned out to be uh, just a really enriching experience. And I'm hoping the book will be useful for deacons in kind of saying, hey, here is your biblical job description. There's a lot of there's a lot of tradition out there. I don't know how deacons have functioned in in, in your church growing up, but let's just let's just kind of get back to the primary source, clear away those misconceptions, read this book, 
here's your your job description. But I also think hope it would be helpful for pastors and elder elder teams as they try to re envision and redeploy um, the the two offices that that Christ has ordained in His church. You know, so it it rounds out. Am I right in in remembering or thinking this is the last book in the Building Healthy Churches series? Did I hear that right somewhere? Are you yeah. aware of that? Okay. Yeah, some some things uh, kind of sputter to a stop on the side of the road. So yes, it's <laughs> don't say that. No. Um, so the 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 point I was trying to make, or the segue I wanted to make, was h- how well that series has served so many churches, including um, churches uh, of mine, pr- uh, past and present. Um, we have used so many of of the books in that series um, in different ways. Um, I, I you know I assign uh, uh, Jeremy Rennie's book on eldership as the first book. My pastoral ministry students read um, here at Midwestern. Um, I've used, you know, Ray Ortland's book on the gospel countless times in so many different um, contexts, and I, you know, can see this book being used by numerous churches, not just for, de- you know, for training of of deacons, but just, you know, teaching the church on, you know, um, w- what the biblical offices are, how they how they operate, that sort of thing. So it's such a helpful series, such a um, a great resource, a treasure. For the church, and I'm sure your book is is no different. I'm grateful for it, brother. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Jared. I appreciate it. We've been talking with Matt Smethurst. His new book is called Deacons: How They Serve and Strengthen the Church. You can find it wherever you buy your Christian books, wherever good books are sold. If you enjoy the podcast, please make sure you recommend us to your friends. Give us a good review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.